Hello, guys. Welcome to the Sleep Well Journey podcast. I'm Dr. Callie Hale. This is the first episode of 2024. Happy New Year. We have an incredible guest for you guys today. I've been looking forward to this for two months. We had to schedule it way back. And I've got Kyle here with me. Hi, guys. And on the screen, you can see Dr. Paul Wynn. So I have a funny story I'm really excited to tell about the first time I listened to him speak. But I want to introduce him. He's an incredible electrophysiology cardiologist. The first time I heard him speak, I was literally standing up, jumping up and down like the weirdo in the audience, like, where has this guy been all my life <laughs> in dentistry? So Dr. Paul, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well. And uh, I'm glad that uh, Destiny brought us here today. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So we, I met you or listened to you. I was going to be your stalker is what it was going to turn out to be. A year ago, I think it was uh, March or May when the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine annual meeting happened. It was in Philadelphia. And I flew down with my amazing airway associate, Dr. Katie. And I think you did meet her in Mexico. I hope she was really excited to meet you. But um, we I had spent most of the meeting being less than thrilled with the content. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I flat out walked out on one of the lectures, and I don't really do that. I, I like to just clap and, and be everybody's cheerleader. But you got up on Saturday morning, and it was the only lecture I was going to hear that day before I got back on a plane. And I was so down in the dumps by how the meeting went and how much the Academy needed to change its narrative in pediatrics, which I was most frustrated about. And then you got up there, and I, I literally just think I clapped like every other second, <laughs> every other sentence you did. And and I'm just so thankful that I heard you, and now I've gotten to hear you twice. And the fact that you're on our podcast is such an honor. Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I'm a kid at heart. Um, I'll go anywhere to speak. And if there's one person that is thoughtful and want to absorb some information, I would do the whole shebang, whether it's a million people or one. And, and I'm thankful to, to have the opportunity to meet because uh, to meet you and, and the gang, Thank including you. Kyle, because you never know, right? Uh, you never know who's listening. Um, but it, the whole idea here is to be passionate, to be objective, and with clarity. Uh, and after uh, two sessions and, and two meetings, here we are. And um, I would go across the world to to share my information with you. Oh, I appreciate that so much. So I'm I'm really excited. I know you know, um, or you may remember, I your your uh, your Mexico uh, delivery of your message actually ruined that evening and afternoon for my team back at Houston here where we are now because tell this you always tell this <laughs> because it's it, yeah. it's it's true but it it also it started a conversation that we can't un we can't unhear we can't unknow this stuff anymore and that's you were you were driving home the point you know I I bet if I listened to the your same talk four more times I would take out four different key points that I would take home and but you're you're your message to me was you're driving home that result result driven outcomes are where we we need to focus and so um and so i immediately went to well the the patients that Callie's treating whether it's in a removable appliance like an MAD or whether it was some form of expansion therapy you know how did that what did that change and so we've been measuring diligently we've been measuring the anatomical changes and also their symptoms, the report, self-reported symptoms. We have a, a nice set of questions um, that are standardized and they haven't changed. And so, um, but we've never, before that day, never measured 
blood pressure as it relates to the, one of those outcomes. And we're a good dental office, so we measure blood pressure every single time, every time they walk in. Um, it's something that we're diligent about, and I think it's something that sets us apart in, in other facets of healthcare where we see our patients sometimes three to four times a year, and we have blood pressure <laughs> readings on them three to four times a year. And so we can go back and look at the history. And there are several patients that, you know, I we, we had a, a lasting impact according to their blood pressures, we had a lasting impact on their cardiac fitness, on their on their blood pressure showing up to the office, which is usually a, a scary place to be anyways, the dentist, and seeing those changes. And that was really motivating for our team here because um, uh, we're doing something that's different or doing something that's challenging. And uh, most recently, you know, we have patients that they saw an outcome in another patient that was maybe someone who referred him to the office and they didn't get that same outcome, whether it was perceived or real. And those are really hard conversations to have because Callie and Dr. Goldberg and Dr. Hicks and Dr. Aparicio, all our airway dentists in our group, they want to have a hundred percent success all yeah, the time. I really do. I struggle and with that. They beat themselves up when they're at 95% success. And so <clears throat> we're, we've, we, we've, been making this shift and blood pressure is not something that you feel. And we get told that in dental school. I'm sure it, nurses get told this. I'm sure anyone that learns about you know hypertension, they get told you don't feel hypertension. You don't feel the disease like you do many other diseases. Like you get the flu, you feel sick. You get high blood pressure, you don't feel anything until you have that one event that everyone's afraid of. And that's the major coronary, the major cardiac event or, um, and so, uh, I just got to thank you because you, your, your Puerto Vallarta delivery really gave us that second and third win that we needed because it is, it has been a really trying three months here, not because we're doing something different. We opened up a two offices from scratch built around doing this and our message around these. And we're not, we're not funded by some giant firm somewhere (laughs) giving us all the money that we need. I mean, we're, we're inventing the wheel you know, and then the spindle and the steering wheel and the tires and the the headlights, all of it's getting invented, but we know we have an awesome mission. And so I just got to, well, before we dove in too deep, wanted to thank you personally, because you have had a huge impact on me on, and our whole organization. So thank you. Yeah. So I do apologize to the staff. <laughs> you do not owe them anything. Anymore. But um, I can safely say though, um, being an immigrant uh, from Vietnam when I was six years old, um, it, it's, I was happy when I had zero. So when you acquired more, then you become extremely objective on putting things together. Um, I think the healthcare system is divide and conquer and that division and conquer actually makes the patient, um, evolves the patient into the victim. This conversation today is an amazing conversation. And, and like I went to Cali earlier, I would go across the world because this was not meant to happen. Electrophysiologists, right. cardiologists at this level um, with dental dentistry at this level to go back to literally the grassroots. Um, blood pressure. Um, you are the expert in dentistry. You know this more than all of us. So therefore... The only chair that's empty right now in my medical team is the dentist. Um, we rely on you. 
you know, I can ablate, I can put a pacemaker, defibrillator and do all this, but the costs right. and the complication huh. is just crazy profound. But to look at somebody here from day one at this height to prevent is powerful. So I'm all about, you know, treating after the fact in terms of my specialty, but that's not a success. That's a failure on my end. So we have to go not backwards. Actually, this con communication, this interaction here today is so critical and powerful, but yet so simple. Right. And, and uh, people are not putting that together. So if you reduce blood pressure and maintain it. So has anybody knocked on the door and said, uh, Dr. Hale, uh, you can't take blood pressure. You're not supposed to know what blood pressure is all about. You're not supposed to have a stroke. You don't, you don't need to know what a heart attack is until you have one and get a stent and bypass and, and pacemaker. No, you're, you're, those people that are community on your chair, in your chair right now, those are the people that you're preventing. So if you're dealing with them at 12 years old, 14 years old, what happens to them when they're 20? It's powerful, yet you need to really clarify that. Just because I'm a cardiologist doesn't mean that I am the guru in, in outcome. Right. The outcome needs to be simplified and easily translated. So when I was there in Mexico, when I heard your both of your talk, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a literally a swimming pool of data that's so simple. Right. Yet there's no connection between my service and your service. Uh, but I know that's obsolete. So from this point forward, yeah. uh, this is this is a uh, interaction relationship that should be lifelong. And it's our true endeavor. I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. <laughs> so <clears throat> one thing um, I was going through my notes and <clears throat> I was hoping you use this as a point to kind of start talking about, I don't know, for us, it's it's we call it like. Um, what's the phrase like dental IQ? Right. Well, for patients, we talk about dental IQ all the time. I'm sure you have something very similar in medicine. And one thing that you said was the extremely low rate in which I, I wrote down heart failure patients get therapy by physicians. And so, you know, when you, <clears throat> when I'm seeing a patient, you know, their blood pressures are routinely, especially the men, you know, the women too, but especially the men, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, they're coming in with 155s over 100s. They're coming in with 175s on stressful days. And um, the uphill battle I have with all of them is one, I'm still a lot younger than than most of them. And, and two, it's like you were saying, that's not something we're supposed to be talking about at the dentist's office. But I have to take your blood pressure and I have to, I do actually have to measure the risk of giving you local anesthesia with epinephrine and determine your ASA category and titrate my dose or maybe not, maybe delay treatment. And so, um, as a, as a, as a early in career dentist, I won't say young dentist, but early career dentist, what, what tips do you have for me talking to my patients when they come in and their, their initial blood pressure reading is 185 over 112. <laughs> And that's, that's routine. That's, that's going to happen this month. That's going to happen next month. And, and all, and for me personally, and the education that I have, my mentors and my professors have taught me that I need to stop treatment or, or, 
or delay treatment if they come in with an initial blood pressure reading of 180 over 110 or one, excuse me, 170 over 110. That's my cutoff point. Um, there are others who are less confident. Um, I mean, we're a well-prepared office. We do emergency training. We do things, but we're what essentially what I'm telling myself and my patients and my staff is that we're, we're prepared for the, we can carry the risk of a 169 over 109 coming in, who's going to get um, maybe 75 micrograms of epinephrine and you know maybe 200 milligrams of some sort of local anesthesia, whether it's articaine or lidocaine or epivacaine. And, but we're okay doing that thing. We're also okay putting them under intense stress because we're going to pull teeth out of their head, <laughs> right? Like the, the, the pharmacology aside, like the thought of having your teeth pulled makes people sweat. So, um, what, you know, just as a selfish question, I guess, like what, help me approach some of these patients who are sitting here and never had a heart attack. They're 62 years old. They're never going to have a heart attack in their own mind, even though their dad probably died of one, uh, yeah. So from my end, I think the approach is that you have an opportunity to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just happy that you're thinking about the blood pressure, because if you didn't take the blood pressure, how would you know? Right. But since you took the blood pressure, now you're responsible for the number. But the ability to have blood pressure when you're stressed and thinking about the needle, think about the extraction. Right. Blood pressure is good for you because... During times of stress, you demand more. So that uh, that demand is there, just like a sprinter, right? If you're sprinting and you want to win the sprint, you can't be at a 90 millimeters of mercury. So these guys sprint at short distances. A higher blood pressure is not terrible. But it gives you an opportunity to say, what else? What else? Is the patient compliant with Blood pressure medication. Do they take it this morning? Mm-hmm. And since you took it at 180, did they take it? Did they, were they so nervous and stressed that they didn't take it before they saw you? So there is an opportunity to really work through a platform and a workflow to where everything is standardized to say all of our patients take their blood pressure medication before they see us. And if they're hypertensive, this is an opportunity for you as a clinician, as a certified certified provider to talk to their primary care because they haven't seen for six months. And you're the one that actually can make a difference. And if you're dealing with oral appliance and, and, and sleep apnea, reducing blood pressure five to seven millimeter of mercury reduces stroke risk by 25 to 30%, heart attack by 25%, yeah. heart failure, number one diagnosis upon discharge, the epidemic, the pink elephant that all of us are responsible for in terms of remission and length of stay. You think that's not my problem. That's all of our problems. Right. So if you can deal with that blood pressure at that point in time, you make a huge effort that you may not know before, but you know now. So first things first is, hey, take the blood pressure on both arms. Make sure that they're equivalent. Give the patient 10 to 15 minutes to really relax a little bit and say, hey, you know what? Here goes this 
He goes, a stress ball. Just squeeze it. Relax. <laughs> yes. You know, we're, 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 we're the podcast team. And just <laughs> listen to this thought a little bit so you can yeah. relax a little bit. And then take the blood pressure again. But when you do sedate, when you do calm down, that blood pressure will go down. Yeah. So, so when a patient's an emergent, you know, uh, case to where you, you need to expedite certain things, don't let that 180 slow you down, provided that you know the patient. Yeah. Obviously, as the first encounter, it's a different story. But again, work through the standardization to where <clears throat> take your medications early. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I'm just giving you a thought. Noncompliance is huge in hypertension and heart failure. Yet you have developed a workflow to improve compliance. That's the bottom line, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So it, it's an opportunity for you. So simple, yep. so powerful. I love that. Thank you. Why is noncompliance so low on that? So, so, so noncompliance is actually very high. No, he's right? saying. Oh, oh, not me. Why is noncompliance yeah, so high? Sorry. Yeah. So, 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 so noncompliance is crazy because people don't feel, feel well. They feel poorly. They're depressed. They're anxious. After two years of COVID, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight. I'm deconditioned. I drank a little bit more. I sleep poorly. I gain weight. I have apnea. But nobody thinks about it. Mm -hmm. I think I can go to work tomorrow. I think I can go to the gym. Then I go to the dentist. My dentist looks at my blood pressure, does all of that, and is the instigator, the initiator of my total health. While, you know, my intern is my cardiologist. I'm not going to see him for the next six months right. anyways. Right. So, again, it's an opportunity for my dental colleagues, for both of you to make a difference. Um, the non-compliance, you know, people don't talk about non-compliance. Oh, you didn't take your medicine, right? Mm -hmm. right? But what happens if you go home from heart failure and having a stroke and you can't afford medicines? Right. If you can't afford medicine, does that mean you're non-compliant? Mm. No. Uh, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not, yeah. right? So I'm one of those guys that say, oh, hey, you know what? I don't think your insurance pays for this stuff. Let's take this. That and, conversation, right. you know, as a private physician, that conversation is extremely robust and objective. Yeah. And I think that that not only taking blood pressure, but what you guys are doing is very powerful, but also to, to really hit key things. You know, when were you admitted for hypertension? Mm -hmm. right. How many medications are you on? Typically, you know, a, a blood pressure medication, a blood pressure patient moderate is on three medications. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and talk about affordability, because if you can, if you, both of you, your, your, your listeners can actually improve compliance. And that's the answer uh -huh. to Absolutely. our failure. It's crazy. So that's why this, this connection is powerful because I think sleep apnea, I think the dental side of the, my providers can really help us to improve compliance. Mm -hmm. And we are literally, we are, we are failing that royally on a day-to-day -day basis. We can have a, 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 a huge critical thinking discussion, but nobody talks about compliance. Right. And that's wow. the issue. Wow. I, I think for us, the same thing is we, like you said, we took the number, we took the blood pressure. Now we're responsible for it. And that's, um, many dentists, uh, I actually don't want to say most, but many dentists do are pretty good at blood pressure like we are it is a state required thing and most states are very similar in their requirements so um 
I know, I know my colleagues, I know our associate dentist, that is an uncomfortable conversation to have with a patient because we are the molar mechanics and our lane that we feel very comfortable in is way over here, far from blood pressure, but we still had to take it. And then they're mad at us. So when we bring it up or they realize they, you know, they really want to get this dental work done. Why are we postponing that? Because, you know, they're in hypertensive crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what my first, it was probably my first few months out of dental school. I took blood pressure on a patient. His blood pressure was through the roof and his heart rate was like 30 something. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is, he's, he's having, he's having a problem. Like that is a problem. And so, uh, at the time my father-in-law had just gone to, um, I think he was off at a CE somewhere, but he is a, he does the highest level of sedation that a dentist can do at the time. And so we had a 12 lead EKG. And so I was like, well, I've, I've been trained on how to do this. I might as well just give it a Let's shot. It. I Why got not? nothing but time because I'm a new dentist. And, um, I put it on and, um, looking at his, his sinus rhythm, I was like, this is, this is, this is not right. Cool. And so I immediately thought that, okay, there's no way that I'm going to be three months out of dental school and have a patient in my chair having a heart attack <laughs> or having having an issue. And so um, at that time, I, I, I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this off. We're not going to do treatment today. I think you should go see your physician. Do you? And then that's when he says, yeah, I, I don't feel good either. Oh. So, oh. And I was like, oh, well, why didn't you, why are you still here? He's like, well, I made the appointment two months ago. Why didn't you show up? And so, and then he comes back the next day thankful because uh, his wife comes back the next day thankful because he was having he was having um, I can't remember what exactly was going on but he was having a heart attack in the chair and but he walked out and drove himself to the hospital and he was in the hospital when his wife came and thanked us and brought us cookies and stuff so oh, for saying powerful. you caught this and that was yeah. you know I, so I have this nice little story that I can lean on because it was a first encounter and a dentist is never going to be better at dealing with emergency than probably right when they got out of dental school. Cause that's probably the last time they will do emergency training. Um, <laughs> right. so, um, yeah, I, I, I want to, the key, I think the key thing here is, uh, is what, what's important <laughs> is that don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid. You, you know, if you want, you know, to stick, to tell somebody stay in your lane, I think it's a very bad thing to do. Because when it comes to healthcare, uh, we should be able to intersect. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. Yes. So when you when you see that that blood pressure two hundred and heart rate of thirty, so that most common cause of atrial fibrillation, which is stroke, and that's why I would say, if we can put together, clip notes. Yeah. On key medical things that we need to know. Right. And it starts here at the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, with 200 millimeters of mercury, people go, okay, that's just blood pressure. No. Most common cause of AFib is hypertension. So not only that you have made a difference in reducing AFib, but if AFib was on the EKG, you would have diagnosed AFib and talk and and would send that EKG to the to the internist or the cardiologist, but at the same time you prevented a stroke because AFib causes stroke. Mm-hmm. So you see, right. the domino effect Absolutely. is huge. But but what I want to do is make sure that you understand that when you approach this collaborative phenomenal job, but I want you to know the the phenomenal stuff is what you prevented. Yeah, and what we want to do is write that down. Yeah. So over time, 
AFib, all of this other stuff. So there, there's a domino effect here. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you had that, uh, you know, that acute acumen, astute acumen to really tailor that case. Yeah, definitely. Oh. I have some questions about AFib and sleep apnea since most yeah. of our listeners <clears throat> are listening to us about sleep. But I have a patient recently. He um, He's beautiful family. He told me he was worried about his dad. His dad just got diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. I've not seen his dad yet, but I said, hey, take one of the sleep tests home. They drive seven hours to see me. And I said, sure, take it. And let's, I mean, if your dad, you know, he went to the hospital, he put on all these medications, but never a sleep study. A sleep study still had not been done. And, and I guess I'm assuming maybe that's just not standard operating procedure. And I said, but I know that it's going to aggravate it. If he's got sleep apnea, then we've got to make sure he's got good oxygen at night. So he took it home. He did a series of, of nights and HIs in the high 20s, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And in and, and our sleep test machine that we use, it's called sleep image, it will actually pick up AFib in the signal line. And it's like the one thing that I like took home when I read that user manual, like if this signal line is red, there's a problem you need to refer to internist or cardiology. And I already knew this patient had AFib. So it comes in signal solid red AHIs between like 19 and 26. I called him and I said, you've got to get him on a CPAP. Late 70s. And they personally also have a very good relationship, like a texting relationship with their cardiologist. Like I said, great family. And immediately got him uh, set up with a CPAP. And I was so happy about that because I was like, it doesn't, it's not always oral appliance therapy. I tell my patients every day, it's not always the Cali show, right? Like it's, we've got to work together and get the best therapy. But talk to us a little bit about the link between atrial fibrillation and sleep apnea and how that works. You bet. Uh, I think the key thing here is that um, I commend you that you made Thank the you. connection between AFib and, and cardiology. Uh, as cardiology, we only see a fib when we see it on EKG okay. or when we monitor something. So let's okay. just take this case. So he's had a fib. A fib comes in many flavors, okay. right? Okay. Paroxysmal, you can go in and out. Persistent is you're on it for over seven days and long-term oh. uh, persistent. There's several categories. And permanent atrial fibrillation are, are, is the a fib that you don't you gave up in restoring normal sinus rhythm you don't want to shock them you don't want to give medicines to convert them just to maintain it okay afib most common cause is hypertension okay. so this gentleman who has afib should look into hypertension and make sure okay. that's controlled okay afib can go fast and afib can go slow okay. so if you're sleeping and you have sleep apnea and you're Adrenaline tone is high. Your sympathetic tone is high. Your endothelial have endothelial dysfunction leading to vasoconstriction, thrombosis, okay. right? right? And afterload. It basically promotes hypertension. Mm. So when you're, if we have work right now on this podcast, if we put, I, I hate to say this, but if you wear a plastic bag over your face and you duct tape around your neck. Yeah, we're goners. <laughs> we're goners, right? Blood pressure is going to go up and this time, you know, day in, day, day out and, you know, every single day for decades. Next thing you know, blood pressure goes up. The left atrium is where AFib lives, dilates, and now AFib comes out mm. as it comes out in the left atrium. Since it's the left side, clots form in the left atrium. Wow. And if it's been on the left side, it goes to the left ventricle. 
than into your brain. Hence, majority of a fibers have to take blood thinners, and that depends on certain criteria. Sure. So therefore, if you treat apnea, whether it's CPAP, mm-hmm. whether it's oral appliance, to me, the Rolls Royce, most people think it's the CPAP. Right. To me, the Rolls Royce is whatever you use most often. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> That's the Absolutely. key, right? Right. So if you don't drive the Rolls Royce too often, then it's going to be in the garage. Right. So whatever right. it is, you want to reduce the pressure, increase oxygen, mm-hmm. the body. So if I go over there right now and just, okay, Kyle, put keep that plastic bag over your face. Now, again, this is just a, a, a strange description example. Sure, we get yeah. it. Yeah. What, happens to your, what happens to your heart rate? It's going to go up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So treating OSA will decrease stroke. Yes. Okay. Limiting hypertension, decreasing AFib. So we can give medication to prevent stroke to lessen the, the recurrences of AFib. Okay. But the patient is not what you, you can't you can't protect the patient, preserve and save the patient if you don't give air back to the system. Sure. We're only covering it up. If we don't treat the apnea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. That was a great response. That was awesome. Yeah. So is in, in medicine is is obtaining um an AHI not considered one of like the the baseline vitals when some when someone's in and like an advanced ASA category? Like we have blood pressure, we have heart rate, we have respiratory rate, we have temperature. But um at that level, is it not is it not common to take a sleep study? A sleep study? Um, in, in the American College of Cardiology, um, I don't think dentists are not, you know, have been prevented to see our guidelines, right? Yeah. Uh, the guidelines are all there. Uh, so American College of Cardiology says that if you have atrial fibrillation and if you have a fib that is resistant to ablative therapy mm-hmm. treatment, um, that in itself and just hypertension, that and just uncontrolled hypertension, hypertension in general. And how many of us have controlled hypertension? If you count, oh my God, it, they're all above 130, right? Yeah. So you need to screen for sleep apnea. Yeah. That's in big neon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, we okay. Didn't make okay. That That's up. good to know. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not always happening. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's no surprise. Happening. Exactly. But, right. Yeah. But I expect, uh, you know, hopefully our, our, our dental. Our collaboration. That early. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. So is, um, for dentists to get on board, because there's a lot of de- a lot of dentists, we're in this really cool phase right now. And if you rewind the dental clock back 20 years, everyone is getting into dental implants because it's it just now became acceptable and not witchcraft um, <laughs> right around 20, 25 years ago. Not witchcraft, for <clears throat> sure. Yeah. And so now we're getting into, well, dentists treat, treating sleep. We've been fringe for a long time, and I think we're on the cusp, if not just past that cusp of where dentistry treating sleep airway, you know, kind of synonyms now, um, Dennis doing that is becoming acceptable. And I think we're, we're going to, we're still in that blue ocean territory where the waters are very rough because there's a bunch of dentists who think we shouldn't be doing it. Period. There's also two specialty groups that think that it's, it's not something that should be done at the, the rate that it's being done. And when it comes to uh, oral appliance therapy. Um, and then 
the education is almost non-existent. It's not standardized. I think the University of Michigan actually has started doing a yeah. good job with this. Um, it just from what I've been hearing and what I've been seeing on the internet coming out of that college. But um, University of Michigan has also historically been the first place to do things. They were one of the big ones doing implants early on. So um, looking at, you know, what, I guess, what dentists need to, what's your message to dentists who are out there hearing about the impact that they could have, not not on their patient's smile, but on their patient's health span and possibly their lifespan too. What's the message to, to send to them, whether, you know, they're getting out of dental school, um, they're, you know, they're hearing about this, this is new, this is edgy, this is maybe not yet trendy, but what's your message to them coming from a place of, you know, we have to reduce readmission, we have to lower blood pressure. Yes. So the key thing here is in a nutshell, um, cardiologists, electrophysiology, open heart surgeons, uh, internists, we're not just responsible for readmission. All of us are. But we took the brunt of saying we will give that outcome and we think it's from a medical standpoint. But we don't realize that healthcare is a continuum. Mm-hmm. As an adult electrophysiologist, I see patients at 18 years old. Oh my God. So I'm behind the eight ball from the get go. Wow. Right? Yeah. The problem here is that the dentist should not think of themselves as dentists. They should think you all have to think of yourself as key providers in the continuum of healthcare. Absolutely. Our job is to be more dental like. Your job is to be more medical. Yeah. And the key thing is we can do it at the university, but you and I both know that the power is the ability to translate that at the grassroots. Yeah. So imagine if, if our dental colleagues come out and they have two cliff notes about what is heart failure. Yeah. Number one, diagnosis upon discharge. Reemission rate is 20% within 30 days, 50% within six months, and literally almost 50% will die in the next five years. Oh my gosh. Number one cause of AFib is hypertension. And AFib causes stroke and hypertension class one, two, and three. Therefore, and then you have elevated blood pressure. If you have just an abnormal ejection fraction, it's 52%. Just that on the cliff note, imagine how powerful that would be to have that registry to link the providers. Right. If you, if people think up here, mm-hmm. then how many more centuries will it take to unite us at the round table? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Right. That- so the key thing is keep it simple, right? but know, know, know the knowledge and then practice the knowledge. Mm. Don't, please don't think as a dentist, you, you are more I love that. just an implanter. Please don't think that. Yeah. I'm begging you. You need to be the title of this one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're definitely, that's going to be the title of this one. Yeah. Practice the knowledge. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. One of the uh, key things I actually had a follower on the Sleepwell podcast asked me about this um, because I came back talking about how you said restless leg syndrome should be called panic. I would love for you to explain that. Yes. 
So a couple things, and I I, I say this uh, with all due respect uh, for those who have, you know, uh, restless leg syndrome cramps because of electrolyte imbalance. But imagine, sure. let's take Colligan. I, I I like to use. I've already got the bag on my head, and I'm. Yeah, Colligan's above six foot. Imagine if he's laying supine flat, and he has a plastic bag over his face, or you know, push him into a pool and handcuff be, behind his back. So the first thing is that. You're going to start, you're panicking. Therefore, you kick, you thrash. And there's dry drowning and there's wet drowning. Mm -hmm. So so Kyle with apnea, he's dry drowning. So during that state, he will have all these electrolyte imbalances. He will develop cramps. So in a way, you're panicking. Therefore, you kick yourself to get up to breathe. People will have nightmares to scare them out to breathe. Yeah. They will move back and forth and they're thinking, hey, it's a habit. I love to sleep on my side. No, your body is protecting you because from an epigenetic standpoint, laying flat would kill you. Right. And on top of that, as you already know, I'm glad that Kyle is married because <laughs> couples, couples have less mortality. Oh, Sam, keep it up. Because if you're drowning and you have problems, somebody is going to witness that and help you to get right. up. And if, and some guys, most guys will have enlarged prostate inflammation. So if you have enlarged prostate, you will acquire and continue to produce urine. Guess what? You're going to get up and pee. So when people tell you, oh, I don't have sleep apnea, I'm a light sleeper. You know, I get up and pee all the time. Those are the mechanism. Those are the mechanism to prevent you from dying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank, Thank you for God saying that. For our ability to move back and forth. Right. right. Yeah. So Absolutely. your body is just, it's just, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's protecting you. It's protecting you at all times. But hey, imagine if, if somebody has all of that and they, and their, their providers give them a sleeping pill. And not know they have that. No. Oh, oh my so now gosh. they're getting sedated. I on... know. Yep. Right. It's so they're, bad. Yeah. And an ADD, same thing. Yes. Depression, anxiety. Better ruled out apnea first before you label our children. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're so, my favorite. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then if you're Asian, please, you know, really, we're micronathic, we're petite, retronathic. Um, I didn't snore. I have apnea. So I yeah. guess it was so bad that nothing came out to snore. Yeah. So the oh. silent so so apnea is a true silent killer. And and I'll 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 give you last two seconds. The number one, so for me, my my lifelong endeavor is to reduce cardiac arrest. Okay. But we're not gonna succeed because majority is at home. Yeah. I'm not there. Right. There's no AED automated external defibrillator at home. So in order for us to really reduce cardiac arrest, we got to go after apnea. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Simple. Yep. I mean, I think for in dentistry, as he was alluding to, it's hard because the doctors weren't trained in dental school about this. I mean, the only thing I learned in dental school about sleep apnea was that you were obese if you had it, period. I mean, it was Terrible. Large neck circumference. And look where I came. Look where I am now. Okay, I found my <laughs> found my way. Look, I'm I'm, I'm 135 pounds. If if somebody yeah. tells me to go lose weight and go work out, 
you know, I have apnea. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think though, I think though, practice makes perfect. So sure. I'm, I'm just happy that the podcast is available as a resource. And I'm hopeful that we can make this as for sure. a, a, a podcast resource for people who yeah. want to really get into the understanding of how to be a part of the team. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to have you on again at some point because I feel like we yeah. could talk for hours. But I think one of the biggest limitations in dentistry right now for the doctors that are getting into this, the dentists that are getting into this is too, is that... Um, we we worry about the turf war. We worry about the like you said. Don't worry about your lane. Learn the medicine and treat the patient and identify this. And one of the hardest things is when I talk to dentists, they're like, "Well, I don't know. Do I got to refer to in, internal first or pulmonology or cardiology?" And I'm like, "No, just save the patient's life. Like, figure out who is on their team and let them know you've indicated." oral appliance therapy, and then make sure it's working. If it's not, rope them in. I mean, just do the right thing by your patient. So hopefully we can drive that home with this too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, there shouldn't be any turf war when it comes to the patient's care. Absolutely not. Nope. Yeah. Nope. All right. Well, I um, we do a pass-along question, Dr. Wynn, to, different, uh, to our different guests. And our last guest, uh, her name was Stephanie, um, Stephanie Gonzalez. And um, – can you tell us, give them one, one sentence about Stephanie? Oh, about she's what, an incredible nutritionist. She really understands food and health and, and um, endocrine disruptors. And she, she treats people virtually really cool, really cool person. And so her, her pass along question to you, she didn't know it was going to be you, um, <laughs> was when you go to the grocery store, are you reading the labels and what the ingredients in the labels are? You know, I am guilty of not reading all of it. Um, you know, the body, the body is a phenomenal, um, system yes. to where in order for it to repair, it has to be impaired sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> a perfect body is an impaired body sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So therefore, you know, the things that I do like, I wouldn't even read it at all because I know it's junk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um, but, but I think from a cultural standpoint, you know, uh, for me, it's all about grains. Yes. Um, I, I don't call it intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. but I eat two, maybe two and a half meals a day, sure. a lot of water. Good. Um, and for stuff is uh, really omega-3. Yeah. So we're pushing that quite a bit. Excellent. Um, and number one here is exercise. So, so I, because of Stephanie, I definitely, I would read the labels much more, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. but, but, <laughs> but I think, I think that, that it's a balance always. Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Well then now we need a pass along question from you to our next guest. Okay. Yeah. Anything uh, you want. I, anything. Um, Sleep apnea is not just breathing right. Um, I think everyone has a right to have oxygen. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the cheapest thing on earth, right? You know, if Kyle gets a Ferrari and no air in the tires. <laughs> not a great Ferrari. 100 miles an hour. <laughs> That's right. So now the question here is that uh, are the providers willing to learn more? to be more medically um, astute. I love it. To serve the community. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Well, gosh, Dr. Wynn, I'm so thankful you took the time out of your extremely busy schedule to be on here with us. Thank you so much. I, I had uh, so much fun and uh, mm. I appreciate the question. Mm. And I look forward to the, to the next uh, 
journey. Absolutely. And we'll make sure you get a copy of this. Real quick, real quick last thing. Uh, my One of my front desk, <clears throat> her name, oh, she, I don't know if she wants to be yeah. anonymous. Okay. Call her front desk. Uh, <laughs> front, front desk front is... Desk. 32 years old and at 25 she was diagnosed with left ventricular pre um hypertrophy uh pre-activation i think it, it um well, but you she had question a, right here to well get she <laughs> she's she just moved to houston um and she's put off finding a new electrophysiologist because she feels she's had trouble finding she had an ablation at 25 okay so she had pre-excitation okay and she had an ablation and she has intermittent times of feeling not well. And she says the only thing she can do is, is rest to, to feel well again. And so she is, uh, what advice do you have for her for finding an electrophysiologist in, in Houston, which is a huge medical center, but, um, she feels like if she found an electrophysiologist before she found a cardiologist, uh, that she would be in better hands. I, that the first thing I would do here is that, uh, knowing the fact that she had an ablation and pre-excitation, I'm just guessing going off of your history, um, that it may be a recurrent issue. Um, and, and, and ablation is not a hundred percent, uh, on certain arrhythmia. Um, so first things first, um, I would look up, uh, an internist first, actually, I'm going to okay. go an internist first. That is, um, very good with communication um with community and they should be ranked there whether they're part of the health system or not but okay. a, a true internist would would go go up to bat for her and then from there because she has a history of ablation it would be an automatic discussion with an electrophysiologist because i think he would know who he would send his patients to and and as internists um, as an internist as well, uh, we're very protective of who sits in front of our patient to ensure um, that they're hurt. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an in and out mentality yeah. because, you know, and, and if she's 32, look at other aspects of it as well. Because pre-excitation pre sometimes is, a, is associated with atrial fibrillation. Mm -hmm. And you may not know you have a fib because it's in and out that paroxysmal. Mm, mm. Yeah. So if you're, if you're in it and you're fast and you may be fatigued, shortens of breath, and you may feel like you're, you're out of energy, Sure. but I'll put it back on your lap. Roll out her out for sleep. At me. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we'll take care of that for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, she'll be really she's grateful. So now I won't get the stink eye when I walk out of here <laughs> uh, from her. It's my fault. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. You so I hope much. you have thank a wonderful you. rest of your month and I look forward to talking to you more. Have a phenomenal Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. 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 Recording stopped. Like as soon as we get it edited. Like. All right. Going to press stop recording here. No, I want to record an exit because we didn't record an exit. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Dr. Paul Wynn and uh, Callie and I on the sleep well journey. We're really thankful that uh, we're, we're for being heard. And this is a our mission. And it's to not just do better in our own businesses, but to help people out there understand what sleep apnea 
uh, is for the dentist and how we can play a bigger role. Um, really the long-term consequences of what sleep apnea is doing to our families and our bodies and mm -hmm. understanding that just like Dr. Wynn said, don't worry about you staying in your lane, just help the patient do what's best for the patient. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you guys. You can always reach out to us at the through the contact us page. And if you are a patient or need to refer a patient to anyone, uh, look up the airway We have a location in Sugarland, Texas, and also in Friendswood, Texas, and we may be growing again here pretty soon. So, um, we are looking forward to hearing from y'all.